0: So good afternoon, everyone, and um, so I will give a discourse, give a talk for maybe three quarters of an hour, and then uh, you can stretch your legs for a few minutes, and then we have a discussion, question and answer session until... Three. Okay. All right. So, so I shall I shall give a talk um, about a subject um, which you. Maybe somewhat familiar with, and that is the, the five hindrances. Um, so, uh, what is, um, wisdom? Uh, wisdom is the vision of things as they, as they are, seeing things in their true light, and the condition for wisdom. Is samadhi, and samadhi is the uh, clear stability, um, bright, sharp, stable, um, state of mind in which the habitual tendency to move towards or move away from phenomena is um, temporarily annulled or anesthetized and that samadhi is dependent upon a stream, a continuous stream of mindfulness uh, which is in turn is based upon right effort and that right effort is based upon faith. So um, faith here um it's not faith in dogmas but there are two um two um principles which you need to adopt at least as working hypotheses um and one um is uh, faith in the law of kamma. and the second is faith in the human capacity for enlightenment So these two things are, um, in fact, um, very much connected in that um, the Buddha proclaimed his teaching as being a teaching um, of effort. Um, By proclaiming it to be so, um, he denied that... um, or made it clear that his teaching was not one that accepted that uh, everything was fated to happen, was due to a divine will. Um, Things don't happen um, um, at random, but uh, there is a constant flow of change um, which is um, dependent on causes and conditions. And in the moral sphere, in the human sphere, it means that um, human actions are meaningful. Human actions are meaningful because they have results which harmonize with the ethical nature of those actions. Um, the most simple presentation of this idea is good actions have good results, bad actions have bad results. Um, but um, in order to understand this, you, um, it's important to recognize that um, what the Buddha is referring to um, essentially is um, wholesome and unwholesome, skillful or unskillful um, states of mind, which is to say every time you act with a skillful state of mind, you immediately increase the, the power of skillfulness in your mind, skillfulness increases through thinking, saying, doing things skillfully and similarly unskillful, unwholesome um, bad qualities in the mind become uh, more powerful become stronger every time you act um, impelled by or um, guided by such um, unwise unwholesome intentions, volitions so um, everything exists um, as a flow. That flow of phenomena is not random. It's not. Um, it's not preordained. Um, it cannot be affected by ceremonies or prayers. Um, but there is um, a logic to it, if you like, of cause and effect. And that's the first um, basic um premise um, that we need to adopt in our spiritual life as Buddhists second uh, as I say, is um, gross from that or is related to that um, and that is that human beings um, are able um, to um, discern and to uh, distinguish between, the wholesome and the unwholesome, we have within ourselves the capacity to abandon the unwholesome or the unskillful to um, <clears throat> to practice and to develop the skillful and to purify our minds. And that um, because we have that innate skill and because we can develop that skill to a very high level, um, we are capable of Freeing ourselves from suffering and realizing, um, ultimate truth, which is one and the same thing as, um, we call true happiness. What a Buddha called paramangsukang. So th- these are two ideas, um, which we, um, which give us a firm foundation in meditation practice, which this, there are causal processes, we have the ability uh, to recognize these causal processes and we have a window of opportunity in which we can, um, uh, we can produce, uh, certain causes and conditions affecting this flow in, um, a salutary way. So in meditation practice, um, what we're doing is, um, We are looking, um, to train the mind and the mind, um, is not yet in a position or doesn't yet have the qualities, um, that it needs in order to be able, uh, to see things clearly. So this is our, um, intention. Uh, we are practicing in order to create the conditions for a clear understanding of the way things are. The strategy is to give the mind a very simple task, very straightforward task um, of sustaining attention on a particular object. Um, Let's take the example of the breath, for instance. Now, one of the reasons why the breath is such a popular and effective um, meditation object um, is that it's not particularly interesting. Now we can uh, sustain attention on a movie or on um, a piece of music or um, various different kinds of um, entertainment uh, because the stimulus. Um, from outside um, creates a bond. Uh, we don't have to do any work. Um, <clears throat> we can just um, float with that. We can just um, follow that, and be drawn by um, that stimulate, stimulation. So although um, we can spend an hour, two hours, or three hours, perhaps, completely absorbed, in some kind of entertainment, um, it doesn't count as mindfulness or, or samadhi because there's no effort involved. Um, <clears throat> all the, all the, um, these, this, the, the, the power is coming from wi- without. Now, in order to sustain attention on the breath, um, you have to be creating that energy yourself um you have to be committed um to that meditation object uh because there's nothing in it which is innately interesting or exciting and this is why it's such a good object because it's a challenge how do you sustain attention on an object which doesn't invite intention uh, uh your attention uh it's not um <coughs> immediately um attractive um, as an object of mind. Um, so understanding the um our intention in meditation, our goal, our rationale, um, so on, these are important foundations as I mentioned just now, uh, because these will sustain us um, in this practice. Now when we um try to give the mind um, a single focus in this way then the mind reacts um, it uh, doesn't like it um, it goes against the grain and the uh, <coughs> the uh, obstructions or those mental habits uh, which prevent us from sustaining attention on the breath um, <coughs> are gathered into five um, different um, uh, hindrances or niwaranas in the Buddha's discourses. Now when these um, hindrances arise um, many people can become discouraged or feel that um, they don't know how to meditate. They can't meditate or they doubt whether they're doing it wrong or whether, um, they're not cut out for meditation and so on and so forth. But it's, um, really important to, to understand that in the, uh, first stages of meditation, uh, particularly this is, um, in fact, the, the, um, intermediate excuse me, the preliminary goal is to expose these habits of mind because we can only transcend something when we understand it, when we've seen it clearly. So by going against the stream of habit, um, we illuminate that habit and then we learn um, how to deal with it. Now these um, these habits or these... Um, hindrances or obstructions uh, do not, of course, arise as a consequence of meditation, or it's not that they only arise uh, during meditation. They're there during our daily life. Um, but because uh, there's so much going on in our life generally, they're much more difficult to identify, um, except when they appear in very extreme forms. Excuse me. So just as if you want to um, uh, follow a moving object on a screen, uh, you make a, a blank screen um, to make that job easier, then uh, formal meditation uh, requires us to simplify everything, to take a particular posture um, and to close our eyes or to shut down as much um Extraneous information, sensory stimulus, as we can, um, in order to be able to track uh, the movements of the mind uh, more easily. So the um, the arising of hindrances um, is the the work to be done, and there's so much um, to learn. So the med- it's not um, meditation, is not Uh, you know, uh, struggling with hindrances so that we can uh, experience something uh, called peace or or whatever. But (coughs) the whole practice is awakening, awakening to the mind, awakening to reality. (coughs) And in the beginning, we're awakening to the reality of the hindrances. (coughs) Excuse me. So, the, these five hindrances, um, we can go through them one by one. And the first one is, um, the will towards, uh, sensory world of forms, sounds, odors, tastes, um, physical sensations, ideas. And, um, we, um, I think that, um, you know, a phrase that comes to mind with, um, sensual, um, uh, desire or desire towards objects of sense (laughs) is basically better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Or, uh, most basically something is always better than nothing. Um, so, um, if you have a, uh, if your mind, um, wanders off into some particular theme, it's not just running around wildly, um, but it settles into something. It might be a thought of, of food, uh, thought of, um, some entertainment, um, so, um, thought of sex, thought of anything that is, uh, enjoyable. The moment we think of that thing, we can just settle into it and enjoy it. Um and that's a refuge for um, the unenlightened mind. When we can't escape from the unpleasant or the um the frightening or the unknown uh physically, we seek to escape it mentally. And the most common way is to bring to mind um some image, some thought, some train of thought, um some matter or other which gives a kind of a warm comfortable um pleasant feeling so um we can, everyone has different uh, kind of default um refuges um of this nature they don't so they don't have to be um uh very um you know expressly sensual or sexual it's just anything at all that uh, when you think about it, you feel good. You feel just a little bit good, not specially good. You know, you might be thinking about um, some sport or some movie or some this or some that. You just have the kind of you know, that kind of warm, warm kind of comfortable, familiar feeling. You know, like an old armchair. You know, you settle back into. And that's um, and to recognize. So we're not sort of saying this is bad thing. It's just this is what we do. This is our strategy that we all have in life. We have these certain trains of thought, certain things that just make us feel comfortable when otherwise we might feel uncomfortable. So um, we're, by giving the mind a job to do, to, to keep it on the object, then we're exposing this, we're recognizing this. Oh yeah, I do this a lot, you know. Uh, when I feel uncomfortable or bored or sad or something, um, just try and think of something which will cheers me up or makes me forget that thing for, for a while. So, in meditation uh the breath not as I say immediately entertaining, interesting, and um for all so all meditators um there is a moment where you get bored, you're not getting enough stimulation from the breath it's not exciting and interesting enough, so the mind uh looks for something more interesting, and that tends to be this object of of desire which are uh, Um, crafted from experiences um, of the senses in the past or anticipated experiences in the future. Um, So um, one of the uh, uh, important ways in which we can prevent this from occurring um, is by um, creating a positive attitude towards the meditation object um, and creating um, a feeling of enjoyment or appreciation of the meditation object um, to uh, prevent the mind grasping onto feelings of dissatisfaction or um, boredom with the breath. So that might um, involve um, taking a very, in, uh, in the beginning taking a real interest in the um, particular nature of the in-breath and the outbreath its relative lengths its its um, coarseness or it's its um, fineness um, uh, whether the breath uh, is coming in the left nostril or the right nostril whether the in-breath the out are of equal lengths or different lengths um, using um, different mantras or creating um a different way of being with the breath i mean if we try to force the mind to be with the breath then we won't be very successful so we can consider it the practice of meditation of one of learning to appreciate like the subtle beauty of the in breath and appreciate the subtle beauty of the out breath because if we do look very closely um it is rather beautiful. It's just not, you know, immediately or obviously so. Uh, we can also use um, practice of loving kindness and uh, just create that, that sense of kindness and love and project that onto the sensation of the breath. Um, so um, also we may, may consider the practice of one of enjoying the in-breath, enjoying the out-breath. So not looking at I'm concentrating on my breath because that immediately tends to bring up a sense of uh, tension and, and, and stiffness in the mind. But uh, how can I enjoy, how can I appreciate this simple uh, experience of an inhalation? How can I uh, enjoy or appreciate the experience of an out So in this way, by um, consciously um, seeking to find a way of relating to the breath in which you uh, you feel some immediate um emotional uh satisfaction. Uh, you're cutting off the likelihood that the mind will wander off um into the realm of memory and imagination. The other um helpful um feature uh, point here is to Make a clear determination at the beginning of the meditation session um, that you will not um, spend time thinking about this or thinking about that. If you've noticed (coughs) that there are certain things that your mind tends to indulge in, tends to like to think about, um, you've noticed this on a number of occasions, then you just remind yourself, you know, this meditation you know, 're not going to think about this you 're not going to think about that so it 's right it 's right there in your mind so if uh, if your mind does start to move towards that uh, memory um, that fantasy that imagination, then the mindfulness um, uh, will come up much more quickly. Um, the second hindrance is of that of ill will um, and this again is um, a very common uh, reaction to the frustration of meditation and when we realize that we can't um, use willpower we can't accomplish it in the ways that we can accomplish so many other tasks in the world and, um, um, and the frustration that uh, you can't do it even though you want to do it and your mind keeps wandering off and then the sense of self-aversion that arises, that's one of the hindrances, or uh, you project that outwards and you project it on the people around you, the teacher, the place, um, and this is a very um, useful opportunity to see the impersonal nature of ill will and how um, ill will, aversion and re- rejection and reaction, arises and then seeks for an object you know, we the assumption is that there's something there deserving of ill will, and the mind laps, uh, latches onto it. But often we can see the ill will arising first. Of course, one of the one of the most obvious um, occasions for ill will to arise is um, with physical pain, and um, meditation gives us the opportunity to see um, how much discomfort, physical discomfort. Um, is uh, really a reaction against the pain rather than the pain itself. And learning how to um, distinguish uh, between physical pain and mental reaction to physical pain um, is one of the great um, uh, gains of meditation practice. Uh, So uh, recognize, uh, again, um, the... The same uh, practice of creating an enjoyable and sustainable relationship with the breath um, will um, prevent ill will arising uh, to a certain extent. um, Being realistic and recognizing that this is a very difficult task and one which takes a long time um, and doesn't respond to our agendas and timetables, and just being uh, forgiving of yourself for not being able to do this in the way that you'd like to do it. Um, and, um, with these two, uh, first two hindrances, um, generally just coming back to the breath very patiently, recognizing a hindrance as a hindrance and coming back very patiently and gently, firmly, uh, beginning again, again and again, um, is the uh, most basic and effective practice. But if um, one of these two hindrances arises um, continually and in one particular form again and again over a long period of time, then uh, it's necessary to uh, put down the breath and apply a particular antidote in the case of the first hindrance, um, developing a meditation on the unattractive um uh, side of sensory experience in the case of um, a strong sexual um, fantasy for instance um, we notice that uh, sexual thoughts uh, tend to be based upon a very selective um, view and memory and perception of the physical body um, so we introduce uh, into the mind the elements of uh, the physical body which are not attractive uh, to balance the mind out, um, and so if that um, if that uh, train of thought you know is based upon a very selective and distorted view of the body as it generally is, uh, then that would be a very effective way um, of of dealing uh, with sensual desire. So. Um, it's good to, um, develop, um, this practice, um, and have this in your toolbox of meditation techniques to supplement, supplement your main, uh, practice, um, of, in this case, of breath meditation. So if you go through the different parts of the body, for instance, um, and you, you can visualize them, or there's one particular part of the body, or, um, uh, that uh, you find when you think about it, you just find, Ugh, that's disgusting." Then you make that uh, an object of meditation. Um, so it might be phlegm or um, or mucus or urine or, or or one of those parts of the body that you don't generally think of when you think of someone you're attracted to. Um, and then you have that as a as an image or as something that you can bring to mind just to. Calm the mind down, or balance it when it's um, getting caught up in its very um, distorted and one-sided view of human body. Similarly, if the mind is full of ill will, um, it's again it's, it's tending to distort the view of oneself and others, and focusing um, too much on the negative um, side. And so, we balance the mind again by consciously introducing into the mind. Uh, positive thoughts and and thoughts of kindness and uh, compassion. And this is a way of, uh, again, um, because these hindrances are based um, upon a distorted view of the way things are, we don't try to drive them out of our mind or feel that we're bad for having these thoughts. Um, we simply uh, readjust our vision um, of ourselves and others um, by... Uh, consciously bringing to mind um, all those elements of the situation of the person that we are suppressing um, in this hindrance third um, hindrance is of um, lethargy and dullness sleepiness so it's like physical and the mental um, aspect here if there's a physical aspect you just feel no energy you know just um uh, is just completely uh, uh collapse. You know, just completely nothing. No, no kind of energy in the body at all. Um, or as the mental is like this kind of um swamp, uh fog, um dull kind of soup of mind. Um, but the mind is completely lacking in any um flexibility or or direction or energy. So these are um different aspects of this chronic lack of energy. And this may be due to um physical factors, it may be due to illness or lack of sleep, um but um we can observe that if we feel very uh we feel exhausted and run down or sleepy um while we're sleeping or while what excuse me, while we're sitting in meditation and then we get up and we feel exactly the same um then it's probably a physical thing but if you only feel like that while you're meditating and then you wake up and you're, you you get up and you're you, you know just normal and you don't feel that way then it's most likely a hindrance that hindrance um it has many different causes uh a few very briefly again if we are and uh I think it's very common these days to be overly stimulated. Um, there's just so much going on and so much to attend to in our life, very, very busy life. Um, that when we radically cut down, um, our, uh, our, our um, interest and particularly just to one object to a not particularly fascinating inhalation and exhalation, um, the mind can't cope with this sudden reduction of um, information the only time that that usually happens um, is when we go to sleep so the brain tells us oh it's time to go to sleep um, so in in some cases there, if you're struggling with this uh, hindrance a lot um, and, and this applies to the next hindrance also um, then we need to look at our daily life and whether we need to simplify, and reduce the amount of information and stimulation in our daily life so that we're not addicted to that level of um, things going on that we can't deal with a sudden reduction from it. But there's also um, a case where we have this idea of peace, um, that meditation will take us into this uh, beautiful, peaceful, uh, relaxed, calm, State of mind and make that the goal of meditation. Um, and so, after initially struggling with a lot of mental agitation, as that mental agit, if you persevere, that mental agitation um, re- becomes dim- much diminished and a certain sense of ease um, and calm arises in the mind. Now, if you started your meditation, with the idea that that ease and calm um, is the goal or, or that's what meditation is for as meditation is about then you will tend to um, grasp on to that reduction of um, mental agitation and lose your mindfulness and become dull and sleepy. So it's come from a, a wrong understanding and a wrong view of meditation. The word Buddha uh, means the awakened one. And so the, the essential feature of all Buddhist meditation techniques at every stage is the sense of wakefulness. So you're wakeful with regard to your breath, wakeful with regard to hindrances. And as the hindrances begin to diminish, you are wakeful. You are aware. Um, it's not a matter of just sort of settling back into that kind of, uh, peaceful, pleasant state of, um, uh, relaxation. So there's, we're looking for a middle way between effort and relaxation and uh, constantly having to readjust uh, or recalibrate um, the, uh, the um, intensity of our effort um, as the mind develops in meditation. So the, um, the other thing that can often happen Um, is that if there is something very uncomfortable or something in our minds that we don't want to look at, we don't want to face, um, then as the meditation starts to get, uh, close to that particular, um, uh, that particular thing, that particular state of mind, then the mind just shuts down or shuts off as a way of preventing us having to be aware of that. So there are many different layers and levels. Of this particular hindrance, and in its more refined level, then um, you know many people would probably call that samadhi or meditation. Um, but the, uh, the 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 defining factor um, that um, distinguishes that kind of stillness from samadhi is is there's a stiffness in the mind. If if there <coughs> the the quality of the uh, trained mind is, is very firm and strong, but it's also, uh, incredibly flexible. Um, and, um, one of the, um, qualities of the, the trained mind samadhi is that it's ready for work, meaning it's ready for the work of wisdom. So if the mind is, is still, but it's stiff, then that's, um, uh, and, it's not um the right um path, it's still one of the hindrances um, present there. One of the similes for the mind, which is well developed, is of copper wire, which can be bent um, in any direction that um, we see fit. so the mind becomes like copper wire. If a mind is just like uh butter in just out of the fridge, which you can't um you can't put on your bread very well, then it's still. A hindrance. Fourth one is agitation and um, remorse. So mental agitation, monkey mind running here, running there, running all over the place. Um, I think you all know about that one. And so here's uh, how you deal with this one: if you uh, find the mind just going, just going crazy, and just catch it. You know, in the mind, you have words and images, okay, uh, or only images or only words. Um, but if you can catch a word or a sentence uh, or even an image and then repeat it, consciously repeat it. So, let's say the, um, well, let me say, uh, after we get out of here, go and um, uh, eat some noodles and then you... You catch your mind, and then you don't say stop thinking about noodles, go back and be with your breath. and uh, You you just um, catch your mind saying eat some noodles, and then you repeat it. You make it like a mantra. Eat some noodles, eat some noodles, eat some noodles, eat some noodles, eat some noodles. And in a very short time, you get bored with that, and you just let it go. So it's you're not sort of letting it go because you've got to be a good boy or a good girl, and you really should be meditating. but you let it go because you don't want it in your mind anymore. Um, and uh, another way um, is to imagine these words as written in water. So without you doing anything, your mind automatically uh, sees those words uh, dissolving in water. So you want a way of dealing with mental agitation in which you don't. it doesn't feel as like you're doing something, because that tends to make it worse. So these are skillful means of dealing with mental agitation. The second leg or the second part of this uh, hindrance is um, remorse. And that means going over and over again things you did that you shouldn't have done and things you, you shouldn't have done that you did um, and feeling guilty. So uh, guilt is um, a hindrance uh, to peace of mind and wisdom, intelligence, um, and it doesn't mean that you're responsible and you're a good person because you, uh, you, you keep, um, telling yourself off or, um, punishing yourself for something that you did in the past. Um, so a sense of, uh, recognizing this as a memory. Um, and in the case that we have done unwholesome things in the past and then we, uh, the, the practice is one of um, taking responsibility, uh, revealing this to a good friend or a teacher, making amends wherever is possible, making a firm determination not to act in that way in future, and then to let go. And so when thoughts of bad things with stupid things we've done in the past pop up in meditation, um, don't feel that you shouldn't let go of these, that it's, it's irresponsible or that you're getting away free. Um, that, that is um, a deluded way of thinking and will keep your mind um, caught up with the hindrances forever. So just let it go. Then the fifth hindrance is doubt. And um, doubt about the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, the teacher, the teaching so many different things we can doubt about. Many reasons for doubt. One is that um, spiritual supermarkets, so many different things to choose from, and we want some kind of guarantee that the amount of time and effort we're putting into this particular teaching, this particular way, uh, will bear some fruit. So we want some guarantee beforehand uh, that we uh, we're doing the right thing, that this is correct. Um, but there's no such guarantee. You can't, you can't ever have that. So if you're always looking for that and doubting whether you've got that or not and whether then, um, your mind will be caught up in the hindrance. Um, if you want answers to things with the rational thinking mind, um, which can only be answered through experience, uh, then you'll still be caught in doubt. There, there's only so much that you can understand through thought and logic. Um, so here is a matter of, um, looking around, studying, listening, comparing, um, being very circumspect, and then making a choice as to a particular path of practice and making a commitment for a certain length of time, three months, six months, or a year. And then at the end of that time, um, uh, reviewing and seeing whether it is really, uh, the path, um, that you need to follow. This is not something that you can be reviewing at the end of every meditation or within a meditation period. Um, so um, making a, having, as I said, done the preliminary study um, and making a choice and then sticking with that choice um, for a certain length of time is a way of dealing with doubt. So these five hindrances, um, the Buddha said, the first one is like being in debt, the second one uh, like having a fever, the third one, like being in prison, the fourth one, like being a slave, and the fifth one, like being lost in a desert. And when we uh, realize, when we are aware in the present moment that these five hindrances are no longer present in the mind, then is the sense of someone who has been in debt, who's free of debt, someone who's recovered from a fever, someone's released from prison, someone who has now uh, been released from slavery, someone who's now found a way back home. And so there's a great sense of well-being uh, which matures into uh, rapture and the jhana factors uh, begin to appear in the mind. So samadhi begins where the five hindrances end. The five hindrances are hindrances both to um, the stability and clarity um, and inner tranquility of mind and also to the wisdom faculty. So working with the five hindrances, understanding them, and um, learning ways of dealing with them effectively is the most important work of meditation. So um, that's my discourse for this afternoon, and uh, I'd like to end it at this point.